Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you be turning to the book of Joshua, chapter 23, Joshua chapter 23, and we'll begin there with our lesson in just a moment. As always, by means of just a brief introduction, we're grateful that you're here. I was worried that we'd have a really small crowd this morning uh, due to several who are away. There's a small gap here and a little gap here. Uh, some of our crew who has been sick this week, uh, uh, Caden and Caroline were sick, so Hannah kept them home this morning along with Campbell. Uh, and then, of course, our teens are gone on the camp out along with a few adults. So uh, I was worried we'd have a small crowd, but we're thankful you're here. Good to see many who are back with us, some uh, after an extended absence for various reasons, some who have been sick, and we're just thankful that we're able to be here together this morning. I think we've got a few uh, visitors, true visitors in our midst. We have some who are, are not quite visitors, like the Alexanders, and some who are, are with us, and we're just thankful for everyone who's able uh, to be here uh, again, as Jerry said, uh, we've been thankful that, that Hannah and her uh, family is able to be with us. Uh, her, she's not had all of her kids with her just yet. Ezra's been with her uh, once before, and we're thankful for that. But they've had the, uh, the stomach bug and things that have been going around, so it's been hard to have them all here. But uh, we're glad that Colleanna uh, and Eliza are able to be here with her today, and we look forward uh, to getting to know them better. And uh, once again, just whether you're visiting or our member, we hope uh, that you're thankful to be here, that this is encouraging to you. And we hope that you plan to be back with us again uh, this afternoon as uh, we study together again at 1.30. I hope that you mean the words that we said just a few moments ago that we sang together. If you're like me, uh, if you've been singing some of those words all your life, it's easy to sort of gloss over them and just recite them from memory without thinking about what we're singing. But just a moment ago, we sang the words, I cannot bear the loads of life unaided. Of course, that song is emphasis on be with me, Lord. I cannot bear the loads of life unaided. I need thy strength to lean myself upon. And that's true. And I hope that you're here this morning because that is true and that is who you are turning to. But I cannot help but think as well that as we have been encouraging ourselves on Wednesday night with the book Church Reset and studying that, we know that we need to turn to God first and foremost. It is his strength that we need to turn to, but we are thankful for this kind of family, this body that meets here, and the opportunity we have to encourage each other, not only with our presence and fellowship here today, but through everything that we go through, the loads of life. We're not meant to do it alone. We're meant to do it not only with a body here leaning upon one another, but certainly, first and foremost, leaning upon the strength of God. As we think about the lessons that we've been studying now for several weeks, one theme that we've covered in the book of Joshua is be strong and courageous. If you recall from chapter 1, our very first lesson at the beginning of this month, there are three times that God tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage, or be strong and courageous. And if you remember, we mentioned then at the end of chapter 1, there's one more time that the people turn and say it back to Joshua. We can, we will, you should as well be strong and and very courageous. We even noticed last week in chapter 10 and verse number 25 in our afternoon lesson that it's said again there by Joshua. I can't help but think that from the beginning of chapter 1, that portion of his life on, that's what's on his mind. The words of God to him uh, to be strong and very courageous. Now, as we've said, for our purposes of this study and the time that we have together right now, we've not been able to look at every facet of the book of Joshua. We've hit the main highlights, the stories that you probably are familiar with that you've heard before, but of course for the sake of time we're going to jump all the way ahead this week to chapter 23. 
And if you've turned there, I know that we're not supposed to talk about age, right? We're not supposed to ask people how old they are. But if you notice here, by inspiration, the Bible tells us that Joshua is old. And not only that, we see there in verse number two, as he begins this speech that he says, I am old. He was advanced in age. And so before he says that, though, the theme of be strong and courageous is very, uh, very much a part. It's, it's probably one of the biggest themes of the book of Joshua. But I would suggest to you as well this morning, setting the stage for what we're going to talk about in chapters 23 and 24, notice as well that one of the themes of the book of Joshua is the idea of rest. You see, the people are finally able to rest. You know, we've mentioned this in a previous lesson, but it is chapter 11 and verse number 18 of the book of Joshua that says Joshua made war a long time. And so I don't know how long that is. I saw one writer that suggested it had taken about five years. I don't know about you, but that seems kind of small in some ways. And then in other ways, those of you who have been through wars, and certainly as we think about the wars that are going on in our world, Five years can be a very long time, caught up in constant battle. And so Joshua made war a long time, but one of the themes as well is this idea of rest. If you were with us last week, we talked about that the first 10 or 11 chapters talk about conquest. I mean, there's Jericho, there's Ai, there are all these different places that they go and they do battle. They move, you remember our map? from the southern or from the central part to the southern, from the southern back to the northern and conquer the land of Canaan. But the back half of the book, while it's not interesting for us to read, do you remember us looking at that? Chapters 12 through really the rest of the book are about rest. Joshua is dividing the land because they have done what God has said and they're finally able then to get this rest that they have sought after. So I think it's important to remember as Joshua is old, He is advanced in age, and he's about to address the people that they're enjoying some rest through all the things that have been going on. So there's two things that occur here. Chapter 23 is really one of them, and chapter 24 is the other. So those those are going to be our two main points today. And the first one is chapter 23, in which Joshua makes a speech, if you will. Your Bible may call it a farewell address, as mine does, as a a man-made title or heading at the beginning of chapter 23. But you see there that it says, A long time after the Lord had given rest. The Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age. Notice verse 2, the beginning. So he calls for all Israel, for their elders... For their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and he says to them. And that's what we want to examine this morning. What he, what he said to them, at least in this first point, and of course since I only have two points, both of those two points have three points. So we're back to having three points like all good sermons are supposed to have. All right. So the first speech here that he makes, the first point that we would notice is that he talks about remembrance. The first part of the speech that he's going to give them is remembrance notice there in verse number three it begins and I I want you to see this through these chapters this morning very often as we read over the Bible if we're not looking very closely we'll just kind of miss what the significance is of something and I get that I I do it too sometimes we can kind of blow right past a verse or a sentence and not think about what it really means verse three begins you have seen 
I mean, it seems like nothing to us, right? You have seen. It's a great speech. He's going to address the people. You have seen. But what did they seen? Go back in your mind as they were doing and think about what they would be remembering. Think about being a person who had felt underneath your feet dry ground as you walk across a place where there had just been water. Remembering the amazing God who caused that to happen. Think about the people being one of those people who had watched those walls come tumbling down as you did nothing but walk around them. You did nothing but walk around them, but you're doing what God said. And you look up in this once fortified city that seems impossible to take, much less impossible to take by marching around it. The walls have now come tumbling down. And you remember the great God of heaven who can cause that to happen. Think about being one of those people who probably felt worried inside, maybe a little anxious because you just lost 36 men at the battle of Ai, but then amazed at the all-knowing God who tells you to set an ambush behind the city and then go to the front of the city and you'll be able to take the city of Ai. If you watch that happen and you know the God who told you to do that and then witness the defeat of the people of Ai and them taking the city, you remember the great God of heaven. But it didn't stop there. Think about being a person who looked up in the sky and watched the sun stand still. Something that never happened, had never happened and has not happened again, to watch the sun not moving for a whole day. He calls them to remembrance and think of the things that they had seen. When we think of God, do we remember all that he has done for us? I know we've not witnessed the same miracles. Our feet haven't been on dry ground, the walls tumbling down, the sun standing still. But I'd be willing to say that many of us, if we went around the room, would be able to talk about what God has done for us. Do we remember? Joshua is old. He's advanced in age. He's called the people together. And the first thing he says is, you have seen. And he calls them to remember what God has done for them. But secondly, he calls them to adhere. For an adherence, verses 6 through 8, he begins to talk about, it's really actually sort of eerily similar, and maybe eerily is not the word. Because if you recall from the first chapter, Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 7, it's not really eerily, and that is kind of this odd thing, but it's simply Joshua remembering. In chapter 1 and verse number 7, it is God, the Father, who speaks to Joshua and says, Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Now look at chapter 23 and verse number 6 and 7 and 8. Do you think that it's eerily similar? Or do you think that Joshua, who's old and advanced in age, is still able to call to his memory what he had heard from Almighty God and remind the people, adhere to the word of God. Do not turn from it. Stay by it. It is adherence to his word that has caused them to flourish, to have victory, to gain conquest of the land. And think about it. They were told of Moses, right? They remember Moses, or at least they, they remember being told about what had happened to Moses and how Moses had not spoken, right? Didn't speak to the rock, but he struck it. So he wasn't able to enter the promised land. They remembered that. 
They, Moses didn't adhere to the word of God, and he was punished. Do you think they remember Achan? Achan didn't adhere to the word of God, and he was punished. They remember from what they were told and from what they have witnessed that you must adhere, hold fast, cling to the word of God if you want to be blessed by God. But, of course, it's not only to his word, but also to him. At the end there of verse number 8 of this particular section, he says, But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. Yes, those two things are linked. If we're going to cling to God, we must also cling to his word. But some people would have it separated. I mean, they will with their mouth profess that they love God. But with their actions and what they do, they're not adhering to his word. You had there in verse number 8, I'm reading from the New King James, you shall hold fast. You may see the word cling, especially if you have, I think, an English standard version. The idea there is that you cling to, that you hold so tightly that there are no cracks. There's nothing that can get between it. Clinging to something. Think about someone. I mean, God forbid that you were with a child, maybe of, of your child of some sort, and they were about to be pulled away or about to fall off of something, and you reached to grab them. You would cling so tightly that there would be no spot for air, no spot for light, nothing to hold on to them. And that's the idea here, that there are no cracks as they cling tightly to the Word of God and to Him. So yes, you should remember all that he has done, but not just remembering, you should then take that and it should motivate you to adhere and to follow his word. But then thirdly, he also mentions this idea in verses 11 through 13 of adherence, or excuse me, severance. This is the point where he's discussing severance or separation. Separation may be the better word, but once again, my weak preacher flesh came in and they all had to end with A-N-C-E or E-N-C-E. So separation may be the better word. I just have to apologize there. I know we live in a world in which this thought is so countercultural. The idea that we would separate ourselves from people who might be doing sinful things. I know. I got it. Okay. Even as we talked on Wednesday night, I feel like my, my generation, my age, we're kind of bridging this gap somewhat. I remember the way things used to be in the world and in this country somewhat. I see the way that even some of my peers of my age group are falling into sinful things and turning away from God. I know that this thought is very countercultural. We live in a world that says, just love people. I mean, just show them some grace. Just show grace to others and be kind. Don't tell people that they are wrong. And yes, absolutely, we have to interact with the world in order to help save sinners. But I'm telling you. I'm telling you not because I've got it figured out, but because as I read the word of God, I can see it. I'm telling you that God's message for his people has always been, has always been, be careful. You better be careful. You don't get too close because when you get too close, you start to weaken and you start to soften to what the world is saying. He says it right here in verse number 11. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves. Yes, we need to stay close enough to show people that we care. 
And we don't just move off in a commune in the other way and stay away from everyone. But I'm serious, as serious as I can be about the Word of God. All through Scripture, both in the Old Testament with physical Israel and in the New Testament with spiritual Israel, God's message is don't get too close. Look at the rest of those verses there, verses 12 and 13. He mentions this idea of making marriages, right? How close are you supposed to get or how far away are you supposed to stay? Well, don't intermarry. That's the message to physical Israel. We know it's not a sin, per se, to marry someone today who's not a Christian. It's not not a sinful thing, but we know how hard it can be to marry someone who does not believe in God. God's message all through Scripture is to stay separated, to be severed from certain things. Because when you get too close, you start to take that on. Be separated. Be the called out. In fact, I saw a post, I don't know if it was yesterday, from our brother Jack Wilkie, who's written the book that we've been looking at on Wednesday night. But it stuck out in my mind as I was thinking about this point. He said, if a culture that hates God more and more all the time, If a culture that hates God more and more all the time doesn't hate the church more and more all the time, then maybe there's a problem with the church. Because God, people hate God for what he said, and if the church is doing what he said, then they should hate the church too. But if the church is going along with the world and people are willing to go along with that, then maybe the problem is with the church being too close to the world. I know that we have to reach people. I got it. But God's message is you be careful. You be careful that you don't get too close because you'll be just like them. As we finish this first speech here, Joshua's message here in this speech, this farewell address is remember God, adhere to him and his word, and stay severed or separated from these heathen people. Folks, we can stop right there. That's a pretty good three-point lesson for Christians living today in the year 2022 but secondly let's notice very very quickly chapter 24 in chapter 24 there is a covenant that is made at Shechem and I know you may not be as familiar but this is totally and amazingly fitting we have come full circle as we say Through all of these lessons that we've talked about the book of Joshua we've constantly come back to Genesis chapter 12 And the promises that are made by God to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And verse 6 of Genesis 12 tells us that Abram had passed through the land to the place of Shechem. Abram, Abraham had once stood here. And the Lord says to Abram in that moment in Genesis 12, To your descendants I will give this land. And now here we are. I know it doesn't quite mean as much to us. It may not have meant as much to them if they didn't realize it either. But Abram had stood here and God had said, this land will be yours, your descendants, and now here they are. We're going to come back to God's promises in just a minute. But how amazing it is that they've come full circle and they're back at Shechem. So here at this covenant that's going to take place here, Joshua again gives three things that I think we can take from this particular speech. Number one, he gives them a history lesson. Beginning in verse number two through about verse number 13. And again, uh, Joshua has called all the people together. 
He's called the heads, the judges, the officers. They presented themselves before God. This seems like a bit more of a ceremonial thing, right? The first time it's like, hey guys, here's my farewell address. I'm giving you this speech. But here there's a bit more ceremony that's going to take place with this covenant. But he begins with a history lesson. He mentions Terah, the father of Abraham, in verse 2. He mentions in verse 3, Father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau in verse number 4. Moses and Aaron in verse number 5. Balak and Balaam in verse number 9. And of course, this history lesson is reminding them of all that God has done for them over the course of time. And just look, let me point out a few things. If you'd like to underline or circle, this might be a spot. But look at the verbs that he uses to show what God has done. Verse number three, he took. God took. Verse number four, God gave. Verse number five, he sent, he plagued, and he brought. Verse number eight, he brought, he gave, he destroyed. Verses 10 and 11, he delivered. And through all of these verses, we see that the Almighty God showed great care for his people and he blessed them throughout history. This history lesson goes along with what he talks about with the remembrance, with the first speech that we looked at. But he gives them this history lesson to encourage them to think about What God had done, not only for them, but going all the way back to Father Abraham and to his father before him with Terah. And so he gives them this this remembrance. And he says, do not forget these things. But of course, that leads up then to verses 14 and 15, what we'll call secondly here. He gives them a choice. He begins with a history lesson. But in verse 14... There are those transition words that we sometimes even we use today. Now, therefore, because of this history lesson, verse 14, now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now we come to perhaps the most famous verse, if not the most famous part in all of Joshua. I don't know about you, but it's on the wall at my house and probably on the wall at your house, some of you as well. Because this has become, over the years, one of the most famous verses in all the book. In verse 14, though, Joshua tells them to fear, serve, put away, to serve the Lord. And then in verse 15, he presents them with that choice. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And by the way, there is a choice here. There's absolutely a choice. God did not create man, male and female, to be robots. For us just to do what he plugs into our brain and that be it. They could serve the gods of their fathers the gods of Egypt, the gods of the Amorites, or they could serve Jehovah. But by the way, let's also note here, multiple options does not mean that all are are okay, right? God is giving them these choices, but he is not saying, well, you know what? Any God will do. 
you just pick whichever one you want and that will be okay. No, he says they have a choice, but even in the Old Testament, we see that we can have choices, make choices, and those choices can be incorrect. God says you have a choice here. You can serve these other gods, whichever set of gods it may be, or you can serve me. And what's interesting here is we think about this verse, really, verse 15 begins it. If I can give you some sections of scripture here, if you'd like to make notes. But in verse 15, Joshua gives them the choice. And I emphasize this because I kind of did a little thing for our young people here as they were taking the Bible Bowl test and thinking about their studying. There's kind of a back and forth. Joshua says in verse 15, choose who you will serve. But look at verses 16 through 18. The people answer. They said, we will serve God. Then in verses 19 and 20, Joshua says, okay, that's great. But hear what I'm saying. You better serve God or he will not be with you. And then in verse 21, they answer back. Okay, we will serve God. But while we don't get a chance to read into it, or we, I guess we can read into it, but we don't really get their thinking, it almost seems as if Joshua is saying, you better mean it, and you better follow through with it. I am warning you, once again, similar to the preacher, Joshua is not saying, I'm not God, but I know God. And I'm warning you that if you do not follow through with this, he will not be with you. And so it's almost this, this dance, for lack of a better term, but this back and forth where Joshua says, follow God. They say we will. He says, no, 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 don't just say it. You better do it. And they say, no, no, we will. And so they, he is encouraging them to make their choice, to not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. And if you say it, you better mean it. And you better stick with it. So this is the covenant that is made here at Shechem. And in verse 21, they answer and say, but we will serve the Lord. And so then Joshua begins to kind of finalize this covenant. And in verse 25, Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Verse 27. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. Verse 28. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. The last thing that we would notice from this particular section is then that there is not only the history lesson and the choice, but then there is a witness. And what was the witness? Well, it was the rock. It was simply the stone. And Joshua sort of gives that personification to it in verse number 27 when he, te when he tells the people, this rock, this stone has heard. Well, had it really heard? Well, of course not. doesn't have ears. It's not a lie. But yes, this rock has heard. And think about it. Once again, we have stones being a memorial. Joshua says, this stone has heard, so let it be a witness. Here's another reminder. You know, we don't have like, uh, we don't have trinkets and things. We, we don't have those kinds of things that we worship in that way. But how great it is sometimes to have reminders of things in our life that recall, recall to our memory what we've been through. Think about those young people 
Those children who would go by the Jordan River and they would see those 12 memorial stones set up that we talked about a few weeks ago. Think about people who would walk by this particular stone and say, this stone is a witness. It's almost like that conscience, if you will, watching over. Right? A person wanting to do evil or not follow God might walk by it and say, oh, I forgot. And now I'm reminded. It's a witness for what had been said and the covenant that had been made. Now, there's one thing I want to touch on here as we conclude. I didn't mention it in the bulletin, but we've talked about it a lot. And that is the idea of God's promises. We've noticed it all the way through the book of Joshua. I don't know if we could rank them. Rest is an important one. Being strong and courageous is an important one. But God's promises are seen all throughout the book. And yes, here it is again. And the passage would be one that I would challenge you, would be one that you would probably look over. That is Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 32. You know, if you're doing your daily Bible reading or you're reading through the book of Joshua, you're right there at the end, right? You just kind of want to get through it because you can check the book off your list. And verse 32 begins, the bones of Joseph, not Joshua, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem. But as you see the references on the screen here to Scripture, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 22, the Hebrew writer would write, By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning the, the concerning his bones. We see that back in Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25. Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And then what we see in Exodus chapter 13, verses 18 and 19 is, that's exactly what they do. As they're leaving, if you remember Exodus, Exodus chapter 14 is the Red Sea crossing. Okay, they're about to take that first trip over a body of water, but not the body of water on dry ground. And there in Exodus 13, it says, So God led the people around the wilderness, by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Now, go back. As you read Joshua chapter 24 in verse number 32, did you remember all those passages? If you didn't know them in the last couple of minutes, I didn't. I might have been able to recall Genesis 50, but have you thought about all those things? Because this book is chock full of God's promises. From what he said about the land and being with Joshua, to what he said about not taking things from Jericho, and they did, and Achan is destroyed. Everything is fulfilling God's promises down to Joseph's bones at the very end. God's promises are sure. I know that because of the rainbow in the sky. I know that because of Joseph's bones. And I know what he means then when he talks about salvation and a home in heaven. You see, Joshua's words here at the beginning, actually, of 
the speech in chapter 23, or excuse me, not the beginning, but more towards the end. Verse 14, Joshua says the theme for our lesson this morning. I am going the way of all the earth. This was the end for Joshua. Chapter 24 there tells us in verse 29 that Joshua died and he was 110 years old. This is the end for Joshua. And this is what he wanted to share with the people. Both the speech in, verse, in chapter 23 and this covenant at Shechem in chapter 24. We see that borne out throughout the Bible as well in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 1, Luke would write and say that I am writing to you, Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of the things in which you were instructed. Paul says the same thing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2. That Paul would tell Timothy, Timothy would tell faithful men, and those faithful men would be able to tell other people as well. The children of Israel had the memorial stones. They had the witness there at Shechem. Joshua said, I am going the way of all the earth. It is my time. I am done. Here's what I want you to know. So as we conclude the lesson this morning, as we go the way of all the earth, are you, number one, living faithfully for yourself? Because only you can answer for yourself before God. But number two, are you committing to other people what you know? You see, I feel like Joshua here is almost just, he's got to get it out of him. He's at the end, he says, I've got to say these things. I want you to remember what God has done to stick by him and to not fall into the trap of this sinful world. Have you shared that with anyone lately? But of course, first and foremost, have you lived that out? You see, as we conclude this lesson, and we've thought about Joshua here in the Old Testament, it's sort of the message of the whole Bible. And as we are about to sing this song of invitation that's been selected, that we might encourage you this day, one of our elders will be coming here to the front to meet you and to pray with you and for you. If you are here this morning, you're not a child of God, that's the first step. You see, you can't commit faithful things to others. Even as we go the way of all the earth, we cannot share with others if we are not first living faithfully. This morning, are you a child of God? If not, why not? Would you be willing to obey God's simple plan of salvation? We usually sort of very quickly put it up here, but if you'd like to know more, we'd study with you as soon as possible. Or maybe you've done that in times past, but you've struggled to remain faithful. We're thankful for this opportunity to encourage you to do what's right, to come back to him. You need to be sharing with others the wonderful things that God has done for you, but it begins with you living faithfully. This morning, if you're not a child of God, become one. This morning, if you are a child of God, but you've wandered away, come back to him. We would love to assist you in any way we can, even now, as we stand together and as we sing.